Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another spring training episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Tonight, we've got pretty much a full show lined up. We've got some takes on the apparent death threats to Heim Bloom. We won't spend a lot on that, but... Uh, that was kind of brought to light this week, so we'll have some reaction to that. Uh, Pete Abe, uh, one of our hosts, has some takes. I'm not a Pete Abe guy myself, so we'll uh, we'll touch on him just briefly, and then we'll spend the majority of the show talking about new rules changes as well as some uh, general observations from what we've seen over the past few games. I am Terry Cushman, joined tonight by Cody Paulson and Andrew Dwan. Cody, how are you? Everybody, it's great to be back. The boys are on the field, currently undefeated. I think the vibes are high. It's just great to be able to to talk about real baseball again. You know, we spend the whole offseason speculating what it might look like on the field. What is the potential lineup going to look like? And, you know, I know we haven't gotten gotten the real look yet but it's just nice to be able to start to see some of the pieces fall into place how are we doing tonight guys good good andrew what's going on not too much to my co-workers down in florida right now i'm dealing with like coming snow so just dealing with that depression when i could uh just be taking in some spring training but maybe next year been in the 80s here in uh, the Myrtle Beach area, so we're getting some pretty nice weather. I know uh, up in my home state of Maine, I think they've got three storms on deck over the next five days. So uh, I'm not sure if any of them are major, but, uh, you know, probably several inches, um, you know, throughout the week. So sucks to be them. Glad I don't live there anymore. All right, so let's just dive into it because uh, we're probably looking at a 60-minute show here. Uh, so the Boston Globe reported that Bloom has been subject to death threats and uh, anti-Semitic slurs. So I think we can all agree. None of us condone that. It's unfortunate. Um, Boston can be a psychotic fan base, you know, for good reasons and bad, you know, the passion is intense. And, uh, unfortunately it, it appears that the extreme ends can, you know, you know, make things, uh, you know, really dangerous and, uh, again, unfortunate Cody. So, well, actually let me read a quote here and then, and then we'll react. Um, so this is uh, an excerpt from the uh, Boston Globe article. It says, quote, Bloom is reluctant to comment on the rare death threats and anti-Semitic slurs he has received. He doesn't want to talk about having trouble uh, sleeping when the team plays poorly or about migraine headaches he occasionally has. Uh, he has had them his whole life. He goes on to say, I don't think days are going to get better because Red Sox fans know that I'm suffering when we lose, even though I am. So the article, you know, ends off Bloom turns 40 this week. Uh, he's he may be in a make or break year. The article says the Red Sox are projected uh, by many outlets to finish last and the pressure is building on team officials. 
and I think it ends off. Let me scroll down. Uh, Bloom is uh, quick to brush off questions of his job security and says, quote, I look at every day I get to do this as an amazing privilege and I'm going to empty the tank just going after it every day. So apparently that those are his thoughts uh, on his status despite the uh, unpleasant nature of uh, what some fans are throwing at them. But Cody, go ahead. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? I mean, we know the guy is – he's leaving no stone unturned, right? Um, you know, even if it doesn't end up being these these mega deals that a lot of us wanted to see, you know, he's still trying to cobble together uh, a team and and still leave us with that roster flexibility that, you know, he's he's comfortable operating in. Um, in regards to, you know, the anti-Semitic comments and, and the death threats, it's absolutely unacceptable. Um, you know, we, we love – chiding the New York fans when they throw garbage on the field and when they, you know, behave boorishly. Um, this is no better. Uh, I would argue that this is definitely way worse. You know, you got to be better. You got to do better. Um, you know, we're as passionate as they come for sure. Terry, you touched on that, you know, as, as a fan base, um, you know, there are going to be few that ride higher or lower with the team than, than Boston, but it should never come to this. I mean, you know, people have tough times at their jobs all the time and just to take it to this degree, I think is just absolutely absurd. And there's a, there's no room for it in, in any uh, aspect of society for that matter. Go ahead, Andrew. It's ridiculous. I can, you know, remember last year doing a podcast talking about the Duran comments, how he said, you know, he couldn't really go outside. He couldn't talk to his family about the struggles because his mental health had gone so bad. Um, you know, just all the attacks that he was receiving on, you know, a daily basis after he gave some quotes on his frustrations after, you know, that Tapia play, which he lost the ball. Um, and then, was just ripped to shreds. And, you know, he said the same things like, I can't, it, no one should have to deal with this. And now we're escalating to death threats over baseball. It's pretty ridiculous. It's been very clear all off season. Um, when, you know, you've looked on Twitter, it's not just a few bad like seeds. No, it's been a lot of people and people are pretty bold and unafraid, quite frankly, to put their, you know, name and face to those comments. One guy said like, let bloom fry and was saying a couple other things like, well, you know, I was misconstrued. It's like, dude, no, like we all know what you're saying. Like you've had like 30 tweets in the last 10 days about how much you hate him. And it's just gotten kind of ridiculous to a personal level. And one of the worst parts of the story, and I don't think you brought that, that quote up. Um, I don't have in front of me directly was, <clears throat> how we said that members of the media admitted to um, sensationalizing it and that they didn't actually mean it. It was just for better ratings. That's pretty pathetic. Uh, that's, you know, driving people to be more upset, causing these death threats. If there's not some culpability there, I don't know what, you know, people are responsible for anymore when you have a giant platform. And I think we could probably name some names, Maserati, Pete Abraham, many others i know that matt mccarthy clown he's one of those and you know i i don't even understand why they even you know talk sports anymore they seemingly hate everything they don't want the team to succeed they want 
personal attacks to be coming to these, you know, players and execs. And it's, it's pretty gross, especially if they're just doing it for ratings. And then when they, you know, see him face to face, they're like, I didn't actually mean it. I mean, man up, grow a set of balls and actually stand by your words. Tell them why you said that. Don't just be like, oh, I just did it for ratings. It's like a bully being, you know, nice to you when everyone else leaves the room. So I think it's pretty cowardice on the fans and more so on the media. And I, I'm going to get a little bit more into some of the seemingly rage baby comments that a particular reporter has been going off nonstop about for the past week. Well, I mean, I, you guys know where I stand. I don't know if I'm more anti-Bloom than Charlie is at this point. I think he's he's always been the furthest out on that end of the spectrum. Perhaps it's me at this point. I'm not sure. But, I mean, I, I, think, I think Bloom does deserve a lot of the criticism that the writers are giving him. And this is unprecedented as far as I've seen, as far as writers going out of their way to criticize him. I remember the John Farrell, the final days of the John Farrell era, there was still a large contingency of beat writers supporting him saying that they don't think it's necessarily fair that he gets fired and they have to deal with him every day, you know, in the post game pressers and all that. And, you know, I, I don't know if Stockholm syndrome is the best, uh, you know, analogy to use because, you know, they like him because they deal with him every day. And, um, you know, Dombrowski, although won the division every season except the, his final season, um, you know, wasn't really subject to the criticism. But I don't know if I want to put it on the beat writers for – you know, uh, you know, pouring gasoline on the fire, if, if I'm getting that correctly. I just think, you know, Red Sox fans are just taking it too far, and, and it's extremely unfortunate. Um, I wish we, we could know, like, when those took place. Like, was it in recent weeks? Because that would be extremely concerning. Or was it in November when Bogarts was you know, signed away by the Padres was, was that what caused uh, the death threats? Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I wish, I wish we kind of had more details on that, but you know, it's obviously, um, you know, up to bloom if he wants to, I don't blame him for, for not really wanting to get into it. But um, as far as the anti-Semitic stuff, I've seen that too on social media. I don't see it a lot. Maybe you guys see it more. I'm not really looking for it when when I'm on there, but it's typically anonymous Twitter accounts. And what I mean by anonymous is it's an account where the avatar does not have the actual person's face. It could be a player. It could be something else, but it's not the person's face. And then the, the handle and name are not, you know, the name of a person. You know, so those are typically where the threats come from or the, excuse me, the anti-Semitic, um, you know, slurs. And that's unfortunate. As much as I criticize Blue myself on sometimes an hourly basis, I, you know, I, that's no place I would ever go. And, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, people that may or not be sitting in the stands at Fenway are possibly some of these people and 
I, it's disgusting. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a human being's job, right? Like the only reason that these quote unquote, you know, accusations, death threats, slurs become whatever acceptable is that it's this person's job is very publicized, right? Like if you walked into work and somebody else lobbied a death threat at you, like there would be swift action taking place immediately. And I don't know why that in this realm of sports or celebrities or fame that it suddenly becomes, you know, it's never accepted, but it's more swept aside or brushed under the rug or whatever you want to call it. Like this is like you guys have mentioned, right? Like unacceptable behavior and and people need to start um, paying consequences for, for doing such things. Otherwise, you know, it's just going to be another unsatisfied fan or, you know, another overzealous individual that feels like they deserve to be able to say whatever they want to say. Any more thoughts, Andrew? Not really on that topic. Um, if I should, I just transition into, you know, the you report of stuff right sure. now. Sure. Yeah, go well, ahead. Continuing on, my issue with some of the beat reports, and honestly, I don't want a lot of them do great jobs. Like the Mass Live guys, great jobs. They've been covering it, you know, better than anyone. But you have people coming down like Duke Castiglione making an ass out of himself. And thank you for the, you know, bulletin board material that they're going to use all day. They did it in a live interview today with, you know, the resume stuff again. Um, but Pete, he's been the worst. He's been the absolute worst on it. He's been peddling this nonstop, uh, you know, since they've gotten down to spring training, several false narratives and, I don't know why he's getting away with it. He's deleting a lot of tweets. I will tell you that much. Um, you have the you had the Noah song him become you know get his waiver finally, which the Red Sox tried for years, and he's called it a whole uh, a wholesale embarrassment or failure by the Red Sox. And you know, to the credit, Chris Hatfield and Ian Cundell on their last pod kind of ripped him apart for that, and they're like, you know what. I'd say this to his face if we saw him. That's the worst take, you know, we've seen. Um, and then some of the attendance stuff where within 30 seconds of each other, Pete goes on with no pictures and says the f- stadium's empty. And then Carabas tweets out <laughs> like five pictures saying, don't let anyone tell you the stadium's empty. It's like completely full. And it's just been things like this where people have just been creating these stories mcadam did it and said there's no one covering the team and then uh gabriel star i think that's her name um she's with the herald now and she said uh that you know all the reporters came the next day because that's when players reported and he was talking about how no one was down there before their reporting day it's like dude like what do you expect so it's just been things like that it just seems like there's I don't know if I don't want to call it like fear mongering, but it seems to be a lot of, you know, just negativity coming from these people. And that's the narrative that they're going to push all season long to get their views and to get their clicks instead of putting in the actual work of getting a story, because I've seen more material come from people with 200 followers on Twitter than I've got seen come out of Pete. Pete threw out one f- freaking. uh, tweet out there with Yoshida taking soft toss and he goes, I've never seen this drill before. This is very interesting. Ripped to shreds. They're like, Pete, this is, this is soft toss. He does in little league. 
So yeah, the the quality of coverage this year has been horrendous, save for a few people like Smith and Cotillo. Going off on a tangent. <laughs> Well, let me go next here. Uh, normally, I'd go last, but um, I'm not a Pete Abe guy. I never have been. Uh, you know, he's had some Twitter controversies with followers before. Um, the one with Carabas, not really a controversy. It was just a spat between them, and Carabas called him G-Bob, which apparently stood for Grand Baron of the Bathroom, and it was this week-long thing where... Pete was blocking anyone and everyone that was calling him G-Bob. And it was just funny. And Carabas wasn't super established at that time. I mean, he was with Barstool, but he was, wasn't even close to his peak as far as his popularity. And I'm not a Carabas guy, but by default in this situation, I, I am because I just, I don't like Pete Abe, but then there, excuse me, there was another situation where, a Red Sox fan was criticizing David Price and the person wasn't super over the top about it. And um, Pete Abe apparently called him uh grand wizard, you know, which is a KKK term. And I don't know why Pete thought that was a good idea, but it ended up being this, another week long thing where he was blocking everyone. But, and I've been blocked multiple times and unblocked by Pete right now. I'm unblocked by him, but, um, but people were just making random comments like, gee, Bradley's batting all the way down to eighth. Isn't that kind of racist? And just, just random stuff like that. Like everything was a racist joke on any tweet started by Pete Abe. They, he just got worn out for at least a week. So he probably is, other than maybe a guy like Shaughnessy, one of the more embattled uh, beat writers with, you know, Red Sox fans. Shaughnessy loves it, though. So that there's a difference there. And he doesn't cover the team every day either. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. As far as the coverage, I think this is the world we live in right now. You know, until this team starts winning and starts defying uh, some of the early projections, uh, Pakoda has the Red Sox winning 80. That's the most of anyone I've seen so far. Uh, Zips has them uh, one less than that at 79. Last I checked, DraftKings, their over-under was 77.5. I'm personally at 74. So I think we're going to see a lot of criticism here. And it's just, it's going to be interesting. But We'll we'll leave that. That's a topic for you know weeks down the line, but I'm not a Pete Abe guy myself. But at the same time, I mean, there there were some empty sections. I pointed them out in the in the war room yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm not saying Pete didn't exaggerate a little bit, but is what it is. Cody, your thoughts? To say the team isn't deserving of criticism, um, I think would be a farce, right? Obviously, we, you know, they have underperformed. We've had some some uh, bad times. You know, we didn't exactly have the offseason. I think any of us were, were circling on the calendar. But, you know, as Andrew mentioned, a lot of the people that have access to those rooms, the ones that have access to, you know, the press conferences, uh, people that are quote unquote in the know have done a really lazy job, in my opinion, this off season, right? It's really easy to to beat the drum of negativity. It requires a lot less research because all it says is, Hey, they didn't sign the guys we needed to sign. They signed, you know, 
some some dude you've never heard of coming from a place that nobody's ever been, right? Um, the thing that I think I'm most frustrated with, I would say, is is they robbed us of the optimism, right? The the best part about spring training is it's a new season. We got a new team. There's new players. There's new dynamics. There's new things that we can look forward to. And, you know, no matter how bad the previous season ended, we can look forward to February, to March, to, you know, warmer days and the sounds of uh, the ball hitting the mitt, back hitting the ball, and, and baseball's back. And at this point in time, it's just almost like it, it's put a, a division between the two halves of the fan base, right? It's it's the people that are so upset and, you know, fed up with the Red Sox that they don't want to watch or that there's the people that are just holding out hope that this might be a team that could overachieve and, and make some noise, right? There's nobody that's just generally excited. And, you know, that's that's the real bummer of it all, right? Sports is supposed to be a break away from, you know, the real world. It's supposed to take your mind off of things that maybe you don't want to think about. And, you know, to have that uh, be soiled with just negativity and, and in my opinion, uh, you know, lazy reporting, I, I think is a, an injustice to the fan base. Andrew, any more thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a great point by Cody there. It probably summed it up better than I was when I was just ranting. But, uh, yeah, it seems like they do want to cause a division. And, you know, I think we kind of know where their bread is buttered with their followers uh, for some of these accounts, you know, like the Matt McCarthy's of the world. You know, They want to see, like, failure. So I, I don't see why we need that. Baseball was never like that previously. You know, it's – a romantic sport every spring is new optimism. I don't know why we can't go back to that. Cause it's a whole hell of a lot better. Isn't it ironic though, that the most critical beat writers, which Pete Abe right now, and uh, we'll throw Dan Shaughnessy in there. Both work for the Boston globe, which is owned by John Henry. That's just, I find that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think the Red Sox care about it too much, honestly. Yeah, I don't think they'd fire him because, you know, they would probably catch some heat. Maybe people don't read them. I, you know, newspapers, I don't pay the whatever the you're selected to pay a dollar for the next six months. I think the only person I would read if I got a Globe subscription would be Alex Spear. I don't think the other two are worth, you know, the time of day. Well, Spear is definitely the most, um, you know, stat heavy, you know, Eckersley calls him stat masterson. So um, I, I think he appeases the, the nerdier demographic of the fan base that, that likes to get into all that stuff. I, I like Alex Spear, but um, yeah, I had one other thing. I should have wrote it down before it slipped my mind. But it's gone now, so let's move on. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the rules changes. Um, Andrew, we can lead you off with this one. Um, what do you like so far? Honestly, I've really enjoyed everything. Um, you know, yesterday was a little bit of a hiccup, and the day before, you had some automatic balls and strikes called. I think it's going to take a minute, uh, but there's no arguing against the pace of the game so far. I found myself not looking at my phone as much, you know, uh, during the game. I used to be able to look at it for a minute straight and then be like, 
all right, the 1-0 pitch finally is coming on. No, I'm not getting that. We're getting, you know, just a lot of action. The ball's put in play. They're going where, you know, balls hit in play where I, when I was growing up would go, the outfield. You know, there's no second baseman or God knows who it would be in short right field to rob a lefty of a 115-mile-hour screaming line drive that turns into a routine out. I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's added a whole hell of a lot of fun. One thing I'm not, I, I'm excited, you know, interested to learn more about is the whole box strategy that's been brought up a lot. So that's going to take a little bit going in. Um, today we saw one of the minor league rule five guys use his three step off slash pitch outs. So that was an automatic buck. I don't think we'll see it too much out of these established veterans. If we do, maybe it's a week or two into the season, but games are lasting less than two and a half hours. You don't see that. That was like when, you know, Rich Hill was on the mound facing someone else that was had a really great, great pace. I'm happy to see it. Uh, I really don't know what other ones we've really seen come into play so far of spring training. It's still early. We're still getting a lot of the split squad. And then we get the WBC, so I, it might be a little bit longer before we see, you know, everything in each game. Real quick, because I'm not even clear on it. With the with the balk that happened, is there is there a limit to how many times you can throw to first? Have they? Yeah, catch him on the third time, or it's a balk. Okay, so you can only do it and, twice. Yeah, okay. you can do it three, but you better catch him on the third. And okay. then you know, once that balk is issued, it gets reset. So, okay. And yeah. part of that, because I think what triggered the balk was he threw the second twice and then simply stepped off the bag, off. Yep. I, I think, because of the signs. So yeah. that that is yeah, interesting. That pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you know, you're like, I mean, you can't cross your catcher up. So it's, you better have confidence in what you uh, didn't wave off that other time. Well, you'd, you'd be, you'd almost be better off just throwing a ball or something, you know. Pretty much. Yeah, it's pitch out. As long as it's not, you know, already three. You'd scream pitch out and throw a 96 mile an hour in the other batter's box. That's interesting. So if if you can only try to pick them off twice, it's almost like a guaranteed the the runner's going to go on the third one. Pretty I much. Think. If you're a righty, you're screwed. Lefties are a little bit better because you can kind of, you know, with your delivery, hold them a little bit better <laughs> with your deception. But, yeah, yeah you're going to get a nice little running start if you're a righty. I don't know if I'm crazy about that, uh, that aspect of it, uh, to be honest. But um but cody go ahead what are some of your observations it's always amusing to me whenever there's an overhaul to the rules or regulations of of a sport or a sporting event in general right there's all this hoopla you know you're you're selling the game it's never going to be the same and then in a month we're like all right it's baseball or it's football or it's basketball whatever it ends up being whatever the sport was that was changed we're all still bought in because the essence of the game is still there um, much like Andrew was saying, you know, you can't look away and then look back and, you know, it, it's much harder to multitask now during baseball games, just because the action is happening. You know, things are, are going quicker. You're not having a catcher, having a staring contest with a pitcher while they're deciding what pitch to throw on a one, one count. And you're just, you're just waiting. Um, the biggest thing to me, in my opinion, is, is the shift. Um, I grew so tired of, you know, a ball being driven up the middle of the infield 
hit on the you know on the screws and and there's a shortstop just pat- patiently waiting right behind second base routine ground out right like if you square up a ball up the middle like you deserve to get a base hit you know i understand the metrics the numbers you know, spray charts the whole nine but there's just certain things where off the bat you're just accustomed to what that should be and and we were kind of man this is a i guess a theme now robbed of that the past couple of years with uh with the shift but um I'd be interested to see if all of these time-saving uh, metrics really do kind of take footing and, and grab a hold because this is going to be a lot less money in, in the pockets of, of owners and, you know, a lot less ad revenue. Just the money in baseball, I think, is going to go down a little bit just because there's not as much TV time, not as much exposure. If they're still doing, you know, dry after the seventh, that's a whole 45 minute of beer sales that uh, you're missing out on. And so, you know, maybe it's six this year, but going into the next year off season, the owners are like, Hey, we're taking losses across the board here, boys. Like we got to figure something out. So, um, you know, as much as people love to, to say, Oh, it's about, you know, fan enjoyment and fan engagement and, you know, keeping people uh, involved. Let's, let's all be real here. It's always about the bottom line and, and money always rules. But um from what I've seen, you know, in, in the three or so Red Sox spring training games so far and, and some of the highlights from the other games, I do enjoy the brisker pace. I do enjoy being able to just kind of lock in and say, hey, I can now watch this baseball game in a condensed amount of time frame. And, you know, we can all still, you know, enjoy for the product that it is. What are your thoughts, Terry? So I'm probably the biggest baseball purist on the crew. You know, I, I really respect the tradition of the game and, you know, and the evolution and some aspects of it. So with that being said, I, I think I finally come around on the pitch clock. I was pretty resistant to that. I think, wasn't it Salamora last year that was just taking an ungodly amount of time uh, in between pitches, I think. Uh, and then there were certainly several others across the league and, when you're down by four runs and you're just trying to get it get it over with, I mean, it, it is pretty aggravating to see that get slowed down. So as long as we're not seeing an uptick of injuries, and it's going to take a while, you know, to for that data to get generated and whatnot, I, I guess I'm probably okay with the pitch clock. Um the banning of the shift, that's another one uh, I'm okay with now. It's more of a begrudging thing because it, it's just frustrating to me that players in this era aren't talented enough to bunt against the shift, to fight back, and to go the other way. Uh, I'd rather see the game evolve in that direction and, and see you know hitters kind of take back the field. and um, But... At this point, I'm resigned to the fact that that probably wouldn't have happened. So that's why finally um, I'm good with the shift being banned. And selfishly, the Red Sox do have a ton of lefty hitters. I think we have too many, uh, in fact. So perhaps the Red Sox more so than almost any other team are probably going to benefit from the banning of the shift where they do have all these lefties. I mean, you've got Verdugo, Yoshida, Devers, Casas are all lefties. There must be at least one more off the bench. Uh, Reese McGuire is definitely a lefty. I feel like I'm forgetting another one, but um, tons of lefties, lefties galore. So 
that should uh, play into our favor now that the the shift has been banned. Uh, another thing, too, that kind of plays into something we were talking about earlier as far as picking off the runners, you only have three attempts. I think that's really two attempts because why risk the balk if you can't pick him off on the uh, third try? Uh, so the, the thing that plays into that is the bases are bigger. I think they're three inches bigger in circumference or something. It's hard to tell, you know, by the naked eye, it kind of, they kind of look the same size, but it's just another way of, I think, kind of dumbing down the game a little bit. I don't, I think that's kind of taking it to the extreme, but it's here to stay apparently. So, you know, they do have bigger bases. There's two rules changes that didn't happen this year, but they've happened in the last couple of years that I still have major problems with. Number one is the ghost runner. I hate the fact that a game can end on a stupid blue pit. And I feel like having a ghost runner on second base in extra innings benefits teams with bad bullpens. They're the ones that are going to benefit from this. Not the teams that have either signed, you know, top end relievers in the in the eighth and ninth. Uh, well, that would normally pitch in the eighth and ninth. I guess if the game's tied, they won't necessarily come in. Uh, but I, I just feel like it's only going to benefit the worst teams uh, as far as bullpens go, and I'm not a fan of it. And I'll never be a fan of the three batter minimum. I, I hate the fact that. You can't have lefty specialists anymore. I hate the fact that you can't have that epic chess match between two brilliant managers. Like, go back to the Francona versus Joe Torre era. You know, which guys are they going to? How are they going to navigate the next three guys, uh, you know, in the lineup? And you just don't have that anymore. And I don't think, I think with all these other rules changes that have now been implemented, the pitch clock, um, you know, the banning of the shift. I just, I feel like, I feel like we can give that one back to the managers and it's not going to slow the game down that much. And the average game time last year was three hours and five minutes. I'm okay with a three hour baseball game. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me. And if the game's eight to one in the fifth or sixth inning, I'm probably moving on to another game anyway that's closer, that has a better pitching matchup. And so I, I don't think it really matters in that case. So th those are two rules I'm never going to be okay with. Ghost runner, three batter minimum. Any any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can understand... I can understand the frustration with both, right? Um, you know, a lot of times, some of the greatest games in baseball are, you know, these these marathons that go 14, 15, 16 innings. Um, but in the essence, or in the efforts of moving the game along, uh, the Ghost Runner, I guess I don't have, like, strong opinions one way or about it or another, right? Because, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of frustrating to watch, you know, three guys go up there, swing for the fences, try to end the game on one swing, go down three strikes, um, and then, you know, roll it back up for, for the other team and they do the same thing. Um, it, the three better minimum to me, I think was 
it helps keep the fluidity of the game. Um, you know, these, I think, are both rules that could be potentially like, hey, during the regular season, you have a three batter minimum. You have the ghost runner on, on second base for extras. But in the postseason, we're going back to, to classic baseball, right? You can bring in that lefty specialist. You know, the rosters are going to expand. Um, and then there's going to be no more ghost runner. I think that might be the happy medium. And then you can have those chess matches. You can have those epics. You can have, um, you know, these these great moments uh, that the postseason just breeds to begin with. Um, but I mean, over, over the course of 162 games, I mean, that's just, that's just a lot of baseball and that's a lot of action and, you know, anything that can keep some of the additional toll down on these guys, I think is going to be better for the sport overall and better for the longevity of these athletes. I don't mind the ghost runner in, you know, theory, I'd rather see it start in the 11th or 12th. Uh, I would like to, you know, I don't want to see it in the 10th, but you know, when you get to 12 innings, just do it. Let's not burn any more guys out than we need to, especially if we do have that three batter minimum. I could see the three batter minimum going away if they're happy over the next couple of years with the results of the pitch clock and, you know, guys not being able to be max effort, uh, throwers and I'm not even gonna call them pitchers throwers you know each time they take the hill as a uh specialist reliever so I could I could see that you know potentially getting brought back to where you know what we had seen before so I, I do have some optimism with that I think I've done a decent job um all in all you know with these things, it's going to, it'll take some fine tuning. It always does. We've seen other sports have some big hiccups before with, you know, rule changes or drastic uh, changes that they've had. I remember when one sticks out, I feel like it was like 2005 when the NBA just decided to have a new basketball at the beginning of the year and players almost like quit because they were getting cuts on their fingers from it and no one could shoot it and they had to go back. So there's going to be some give and take like any, you know, professional sport going through a major change. We'll see. I mean, like I said, um, I think the pitch clock and the the bigger, uh, excuse me, the banning of the shift will provide a, a better product. I mean, for nascent commentators so far, we've only had Mike Moran and uh, Lou Merloni. I wish it could be those two, all 162, you know, aside from the, you know, the normal vacations that they get. Um, but they seem to like it. And apparently the average game, uh, after the second or third day of full games across all of spring training, the average time of game was two hours and 35 minutes. So about 30 minutes faster than, uh, what was happening last year. So we'll see. Maybe now Dave O'Brien will finally start having one last thing to cry about every five seconds. Cause he, he certainly loves to do that and he'll have nothing to blame his uh, bad ratings on uh, now that, that, you know, he's got his precious rules changes, but uh, yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's get into some uh, on the field stuff. Uh, let's start with Garrett Whitlock. That was kind of the news of the day. Um, had hip surgery uh, a week or so after the season ended, has been throwing since uh, mid-December, 
but apparently not necessarily going to be ready for opening day that he hasn't been ruled out yet, but they've admitted for the first time today, he might not actually be ready. Um, Throwing off a mound, but uh, not doing uh, any type of fielding drills or, you know, anything with, you know, a lot of mobility because uh, apparently they're, you know, being pretty cautious about, um, you know, his his rehab since that uh, hip injury. So, uh, Andrew, go ahead. Thoughts on him. Not super worried. It seems like the, the only thing he hasn't been doing so far is his, you know, his fielding drills. <clears throat> so obviously that's how he got hurt <laughs> last year when he was trying to make that play over at first and he slid and yeah, that kind of snowballed the progression of the season just going down and, you know, worse and worse. I have no problem with it. I hope they do take him, you know, or take an op to, or excuse me, a cautious, route with his rehab they don't really need him uh the first couple go-arounds especially if they're going to be stretching out Winkowski to start Crawford to start how to start we all know there's days days off built in the beginning of the season we know there's going to be a rain out or a snow out or god knows what since they are opening the season at Fenway they got the Pirates early on they probably weren't even going to go four guys five guys for the first week or so I'm not too worried about it. If Sale's healthy, uh, if Kluber's healthy, if Paxson's ready to go, they're going to be able to patch whatever they need together uh, the first week, let Whitlock kind of just work into his own, get comfortable. I don't want to see him pushed uh, you know, hard right now at the beginning of the year. It's not when they, when they need him. It's going to be way too valuable for him not to be healthy at the end. Cody. Yeah, I'm all in favor of doing whatever it takes to get this guy back and to get him right. Uh, you know, we obviously saw what he was um, when he was at the peak of his powers. You know, uh, I've always been a proponent of of keeping him in the bullpen. But, you know, the guy's a bulldog. Right. And, you know, he's he's the type of guy that you're going to need to take the ball out of his hand to make sure that he doesn't hurt himself. So by putting him on a precautionary uh, workload or making sure, you know, that he's taking it um, as slowly and as responsible um as responsible as possible. I like the look, um, you know, regardless of what the season looks like, sacrificing a dozen, two dozen games at the beginning of the season to guarantee that you get them for the full, you know, remaining 140, I think is far, far more worth it than trying to rush him to get him ready for opening day. He goes, throws two starts and, you know, re-aggravates it and he's up and down, up and down all year. Um, get the guys right, get the guys healthy. This, I mean, this is this is my opinion with with all injuries, not necessarily just because it's a you know a pitcher on a rotation that's already having having some injury concerns. Injuries have been a theme with this rotation, so it's. I mean, I just would love it if all of them would start on a clean slate. I mean, it, as Andrew pointed out, it looks like Chris Sale will be. James Paxton is scheduled to pitch on Friday. Not sure how long he'll go. I'm guessing just an inning or two uh, tops. But he's a guy we literally have not seen pitch at all since his initial contract was signed, uh, you know, over a year ago. So we'll see what those guys have. I'd love it if they would show us the radar gun. I I know some of these guys aren't completely ramped up yet, so you're not going to be seeing high 90s from guys that – 
normally would be in that area or, you know, 96 or above, but, you know, I probably it's, should say. It's in the stadium. Nesson's just not having it, unfortunately. That's got to so, be by design, though. Like They've been talking about the – I think they said they were working, trying to figure out, like, what they're going to be doing because they were talking about where they're going to be putting the pitch clock um, and if it's going to only appear, like, once it hits 10. Uh, so they were working out some kinks with that. But the re- for some reason, JetBlue Park hasn't had uh, some of the pitch data, which is unfortunate. When they go out to Pittsburgh, I'm not wherever they play uh, in a couple weeks. I know they have full stack cast in that stadium, uh, so we'll get more data readings then. I think it just might be temporary for them not having that sort of data available at JetBlue. I feel like it's every year though. You know, because there's always someone I'm curious. All right, what's he throwing? You know, what's he, where's he at? And and they just never have it. They're at least early on. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But um, I, I'm just saying, ideally, you know, we would have a a healthy Whitlock to go. I mean, aside from him, I mean, you've got Sale, you've got Paxton, barring no setbacks or you know, Sale forgets how to walk and blows out his ACL or something. Um, and then you got Pavetta. Hauk probably. I'm. It's sounding more and more like Hauk's going to be a starter. Do, do you? Are you guys getting that vibe as well? I I don't. I think he's going to be a uh, in the same role, multi inning weapon. Because they said they, you know, they they want as many <clears throat> innings out of him as possible to be the weapon he can be. And unless Bayo go, you know, starts the year in AAA, regardless of injury. I, I just don't see an opening for uh, how to be a starter. I don't think they're going to want to bump him around too much uh, if they don't need to. I think I think he's destined for the pen. I just feel like I I don't have a ton of confidence that that Chris Sale is going to one be healthy and two be mechanically sound. I, I just I think there's a, a high probability he's just going to be a mess. Um, there's a, there, there's a possibility, uh, Pavetta, you know, might just not have it. Uh, you know, he's up and down and it's not pleasant at times. And I just feel like if, if Hauk is locating and, and he's extremely nasty, I just feel like you're doing the team a disservice by, by not pitching him, you know, every fifth day. It, it, now, if you told me on on the other on the flip side, yeah, Sale is going to have his best season since 2018, and and James Paxton is is going to be a serviceable, healthy starter. Then okay, all right, I, Whitlock can go in the pen, but I just feel like he's probably he has as nasty a stuff as as anybody we have right now. I mean, I always liked Hauk in the rotation and Whitlock in the pen. I thought that was one of the few bright spots that we had last year, uh, one of the few consistent things. Even if, you know, you only got five-ish innings out of Hauk because we didn't want to see him go through the lineup the third time. Um, but, hey, you know, they they see the guys every day. We see them, you know, only when they're on TV. So there's got to be something behind the scenes that, you know, conversations that they're having, there's got to be some reason uh, <laughs> behind the decisions that they've made. I, I don't know. I just, I, 
I would rather see him start, uh, you know, over over a lot of these guys. But uh, let's keep going. Uh, what's next? Um, let's talk about Rafaela. I mean, if he's tearing the cover off the ball, he's probably one of the first ones called up, isn't he? I don't see any way they rush him. I think they'll give him a full season in the minors to work on pitch uh, recognition because that's been his downfall. I mean, he's only had a handful of games in double A. They have a lot of depth right now in the outfield. Um, Rymel Tapia looked great the other day, and you know he's a very good defender. Uh, has a tr- proven track record in the majors. You know he's been a little up and down, but he does have some skill. Jaron Duran um, is going to be given every opportunity. He's looked very good so far this spring. Obviously, it's spring, but there seems to be a different confidence about him. Uh, I think he worked on a lot of stuff this offseason. I just don't see any anyway. Rafaela is up before you know August or September. Well, a couple of things real quick. Doesn't Tapia have uh, a relatively fast opt out? That's none. Oh, no opt-outs. My bad. All right. No, I thought he... the Alfaro has opt-outs, but okay. those aren't until like June, and he's obviously not going to get any looks because he's going to the WBC anyway, so they don't need to pull him up. But, yeah, Tapia, I, I don't think he has any opt-outs. My bad. I thought he could opt-out around May, but I'm, I'm probably confusing him with someone else. Uh, and then the second one, I just don't see – I mean, how's Duran going to get consistent playing time? And then – who loses their bench spot for him? It just seems it would but have to be an injury. I, I would feel like. Wouldn't that be the same argument for Sedan Raffaella though? Does it benefit him and the team for his de- development to be, you know, kind of put on hold just to sit on the bench? I don't think he would go on the bench. Like I said, I mean, the term I used was tearing the cover off the ball. If he's just like white hot down there, and Duvall, sure. a guy like Duvall just isn't really off to a good start. I just feel like it just sounds like there's more potential for him to get an early call up out of all of our high end, uh, you know, bats. I, but we, I, that's where I just, because we see, you know, Duran last year go down and hit 377 or whatever, you know, when he goes down to Worcester. And I, I just don't think they'll want to push him. And without him ever having, you know, triple A bats prior to this coming uh, April, I I just think it's going to be at least 80 games in triple A before the conversations even start. Cause you know, we started off in I think single a last year. So, but he will start in, in triple A though. That's where he He should. I mean, that's been my belief. I've seen some people think he would start in double A. I don't see it. I mean, I guess, there could be a little bit of a log jam with Duran, Tapia. I guess, yeah, the, those are your two outfielders out in, um, out in Worcester. So I think there's I think there's plenty of room for all three down there, and I think they should get significant playing time. Well, 80 games would be no later than July 1st, if I'm not mistaken. That's about what that would be. Yeah, around then. I yeah. mean – then you're looking at Kike coming back too. And if Mondesi's healthy and going, then Kike has to move to center for story. I think it said Kike instead of story the first time, but I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts if you know, barring health and 
I just I, I don't think it's much of a conversation right now. I guess is how I should put it. Let's throw out another scenario. I'm not a Mondesi guy, and my faith that he's going to be a viable guy. I don't see him starting. Let's put it that way. I, I think off the bench possibly. But what about uh, you know a guy like Valdez who is um, you know one of the pieces acquired in the uh, Christian Vasquez trade? I mean, if Kike goes back to the outfield, could a guy like Valdez kind of force his way onto the team? You, you know, as potentially uh, is he a corner or or can he play second base or no? Second, yeah, yeah. So tries I, to. Not a great fielder. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm you know, I'm just spitballing here on, you know, who may or may not be available, but um he seems like he's on track to, you know, make his debut at some point this year, I would think. But um so I let, let's keep going. So Yoshida we're seeing a swing, lots of praise so far. Um, he is heading for Japan, I think now uh, he's probably in route right now, actually. Um, are we gonna, are we gonna play Japan? I don't know how the format works. They're in a different class. So it's like the Netherlands and I forget who else might be Italy that are out in Japan as well. Um, and it's like Japan versus China then there's a in the first round, then there's another round out there. I think they come like, I want to say like March 7th back stateside. And that's when, you know, you're going to start seeing a lot more players. I know Kenley Jansen said you know, he might go play for the Dutch team uh, or the Netherlands team when they come to the States. He didn't want to go, you know, out to Japan to play. So, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a little bit before we see uh, see some of these guys back stateside. I'm just dying to see him against some of our best pitchers. Like th- then I'll, fi- you know, we'll, we'll finally kind of get a glimpse at, you know, what, what type of a hitter he, he could potentially be, but you know, he's definitely, um, you know, hit the ball hard uh, a couple of times in the last couple of days. Cody, any, anything standing out to you as far as on field? I mean, you know, we've kind of touched on a lot of topics so far. Um, Duran just looks a lot more comfortable. I don't know if it was just maybe a consistent offseason or, you know, maybe it's a, a little bit more of a prove it or he got a taste last year and now he knows kind of what he needed to do or what to adjust. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Yoshida's been as advertised so far, right? Short, compact swing, barrel to the ball, you know, hands are on path. And when he makes contact, that ball is jumping. You know, I heard reports that he's got a potentially a 70 power grade, which, you know, um, as a non-scout, that 70 out of 80 sounds good to me, but I don't know what 70 translates to in, in terms of statistics for, for doubles and for home runs. But, you know, um, I'm liking the identity of the team that we've seen so far. You know, it seems like they're playing with a lot of heart, a lot of hustle, a lot of grit, um, you know, trying to make things happen on the base pass, scoring from second on a on a sacrifice fly to center, um, you know, just an energy and a juice to the team that, you know, we haven't necessarily seen uh, since some of our better teams, uh, you know, in, in the past. And so, um, you know, if we can take this momentum and, you know, kind of get hot, stay hot early, um, put some serious wins together early in the season, I really like the direction uh, that we're seeing so far. 
Any other observations, Andrew? I feel like I'm drawing a bunch of blanks. Yeah. Um, yesterday was really fun to watch. You saw uh, Brian Mata come in. He looked great. He was hitting 96, and just his breaking stuff looked filthy. So that kind of gives you some hopes for coming up. They're going to give him every chance to start. It would make sense not to, but you can kind of fantasize about what that would look like putting him back into the bullpen. Uh, Brandon Walter looked really good. Unfortunately, he went down with an injury last year, so we didn't get to see too much out of him. But that's another arm that could play up in the pen this year if they need him, um, you know, mid-season, mid to late season. Same with Chris Murphy. He was probably the lowest of the three, not too far behind, but definitely the lowest of the three. Uh, all really good options, you know, if the Red Sox do need to add an arm um, from within uh, into that pen in, you know, the middle of the season. And then today we saw Cutter Crawford look really good, said he worked on a splitter all off season, and it, it played up well. Uh, he made a fool out of Gallo, and uh, I believe it was Kepler as well. In the first inning, he was hitting 96, had two Ks, thought he looked great. Um you know, that's you don't want to see him starting. <laughs> I mean, someone went down, but if he can be your your swing man, you do a lot worse. With Mata and Walter, I mean, are we completely resigned that they won't go into the rotation? I just don't see where they would fit in again, barring injury. Uh, Mata, they already said, you know, his role is going to be determined on strike throwing ability. And he, he's had a lot of time off um, with injuries, lockouts, COVID years. Uh, his development got thrown off completely. He was a very high-ranking prospect for the Red Sox for you know for years now. I feel like he was the 2016 IFA class. So I I think I would if I had to bet money, I would say he's a reliever long term. If he turned into a starter, that's great. I just don't see how either of those guys are starters in 2023 in Boston. Worcester, yes. Boston, no. Again, unless you have a year like last year. Well, I just, I mean, he's definitely going to be starting in the minors, you know, according to Cora. And I know with Mata, there was similar to Hauk not really having a third pitch. I don't know what's developed on that, if he's featuring anything differently now. Um but I it just, I mean, would we be shocked if a guy like Nick Pavetta just simply gets DFA'd for may, not necessarily one of these guys, but to open up open up a spot for someone if he's DFA'd? Yeah, I mean he's a he's a proven major league caliber arm with you know control that's throwing two hundred innings a year. I know I, I get that. You know, he's an innings eater, but what good was Rick Porcello for us in, in 2019 in that regard? I mean, well, Porcello is making what 19 or 21 million. Pavetta is making pennies. He, he would get snatched up in a matter of seconds. Well, okay. So maybe he's traded then. Maybe DFA was. Maybe, yeah. I could see okay. that. I, yeah. But what, yeah. So the best thing the best way i could have framed it i guess is he's you know no no longer on the team you know he's he's no value to us so he's he's traded or or whatever um i just feel like i mean it's his third year in the division or is it the fourth at this point i forget third full year rather 
Um, and, and I know we're playing 52 games now in the division and, you know, versus I think it was 70 or 80 previously. Um, it's just, I, I don't know what he's going to look like, you know, facing these teams again. I, I feel like there's definitely a shelf life when you're pitching in the AL East. If you're not a top of the rotation guy, I just feel like after a while, it's just going to get worse for you it's just that type of a division you know the some of the most talented lineups in in major league baseball are in this division so um you know we'll see and then i think getting 150 innings out of both chris sale and james paxton huge stretch huge stretch i think one of those guys possibly going on the il uh, and Paxton's another guy that could straight up get released if he's if he's trash out of the gates. I, you know, we we it was a while ago now, but I mean, we saw that with Justin Masterson. I mean, were any of us thinking that was going to happen at the start of 2015? He was he was DFA'd before Father's Day, and you know, we just don't know what we're getting. I just th- there's a lot of factors I think that could lead to you know, openings here and we won't see guys like Mata and, and Walter up, up that fast, but it wouldn't surprise me. And then what if we're bad? What if we're bad and you just want to see what those guys have later on? I think that's a scenario as well, you know, to try to potentially maybe get them ready or see what they might have for 2024 to see if, if they can handle it before the uh, forearm thing. I think most of us thought, Bayo is probably gonna gonna be a lock for one of the five slots. So, I mean, that was that was what I was gonna kind of pitch in there. You know, the only way I see some of these guys show up is you know if catastrophe happens, some of the guys go down and we're terrible, right? And then you know it's one of those okay, let's punt, let's you know see what these guys have. If it's some you know lightning in a bottle, great. If we can flip them for something better in the off season, you know, who knows, right? Then we get a better idea of how do these guys play at, at the at the major league level. But you know, if if things go according to you know our optimism, our hopes, our 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 plan, whatever you want to call it, um, I don't I don't see a path to to the major leagues for these guys in twenty twenty three, which I think is, you know, for the better, right? Like you want them to be able to mature to to go along the progression and to be able to develop you know, a little bit more of a repertoire. Yeah, to quote one of my favorite football quotes of all time, Tom Moore of the Colts, uh, when they asked why Peyton, uh, Peyton Manning's backups didn't get more practice, he goes, we don't practice fucked. If that happens, we are. So <laughs> I, I don't see the Red Sox, you know, moving any sort of pitching if they're not uh, completely screwed um, and just in a full tank, I just don't see, I, I just don't see the upside of getting rid of pitching, uh, pitching depth because, you know, the second you think you have too much pitching depth, you don't have enough. I think baseball's kind of proven that over, you know, 120 something years, 130 years. So I, I, I think the Red Sox hold on to every arm that they possibly have and, you just let it play out. Well, I mean, if one guy is just going to be an automatic loss, I mean, why suffer through it? Oh, if that's the case, yeah. I thought, well, I mean. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, there, a couple of these guys, w- at least one of these guys is just going to just completely 
flame out and it's just going to be useless. I feel like uh, question here. And this is a good, this is an example of if we're bad and you just want to see what guys have. Um, this is kind of going back a ways 2014, but was Matt Barnes, was he thought of as a starter initially before being a reliever? Cause I feel I mean, like he, he was after as one, but it was pretty clear. He wasn't. Well, I mean, he was. I thought he was starting games late in 2014 when, after we had already dealt, you know, Lester and Lackey and all them. And another guy, too, and this guy I don't think worked out at all anywhere was uh, Anthony Renato. And I, I think at the time there was some thought that he would have some type of a role, you know, down the road with the Red Sox. And 2014, we kind of figure out, nope, that's not the case. And so. I, I just feel like that's going to give us opportunities because maybe Mata is a reliever. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what he is. And I think, are you thinking of Workman? No, no There's Workman. No, no, because no, Workman was you know a, a solid reliever in the 2013 playoffs. Because I'm looking at, I, I think Matt Barnes has only made two career starts. Has so he? Because I, I, I think it worked. Because didn't Workman have like a 20 start season at one point? He might have. He might have. Maybe maybe that was it. Maybe he was just a reliever in, in 2013, and then at, they thought he was going to be um, a starter. Yeah, 2014, Workman had okay. 15 starts. I wonder yeah. uh, at what point of the <laughs> season that years. was. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm just looking down. Yeah, those are the only ones. Stephen Wright, uh, I think he might have only been – in relief yeah. at that point. He was on the all-star team in uh, 2015 though. He got off to a really good start that season or was that 2016? I forget those John Farrell right. years just kind of run together, but um, yeah. So like I said, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, it, let me say this too. You guys know where I stand with the Red Sox. You know where I stand with bloom. If I'm going to change my tune beyond this season and if Bloom's going to be around beyond this season, seeing guys like like Mata, Walter, maybe Murphy in the second half, seeing these guys start and then become viable starters, that would change my tune a little bit. Because I'm assuming either Hauk or Whitlock will emerge as a viable starter I'm assuming Bayo. I'm crossing my fingers because we don't want Tommy John with him, and I don't think we can completely rule that out yet. Though you know, it, it's his recovery is looking promising. But if you got three of these homegrown guys as, as viable starters, okay, you know, maybe maybe now I'll change my tune a little bit in terms of future starting pitching. But that's what it's going to take is is seeing these guys do it. Uh, you know, later on. So, uh, any any other thoughts before we wrap? Not really. Tomorrow's gonna be fun. We get to see Kluber uh, go. Uh, it'll be his first appearance. He was getting, you know, it was a vet trip that he wouldn't have to make. Apparently, he's taking his three-hour bus ride with the rest of the guys, uh, which you don't always see. So, he's rearing to go. Said to watch. I think it's on tomorrow. Maybe it's not. I'll be sad if it's not. Now that I say that, um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll be interested to see what he's looking like. Uh, you know, finally facing live batters. 
Toad man. Yeah, I mean, it's just good to see some of these names, right? You know, so much speculation uh, in the offseason, so much just optimism or, or pessimism one way or another, but that all gets silenced or it all gets louder based off of how these guys perform. And it's it's just nice to be able to either, you know, add water to a take, um, you know, kind of hold true to it or, you know, have to eat crow. Um, and, you know, hopefully a lot of the pundits and a lot of the naysayers are, are going to be eating some crow this year because I'd like to see the team do well. <laughs> but, you know, that goes without saying. <laughs> so wait a minute. Uh, it looks like tomorrow. It doesn't have a date stamped on here. It has to be tomorrow. They play in the Marlins. Does that sound right? It's looking like it's good. I'm on the uh, on the app now. Okay. It says Nesson Plus and MLB Network out of out of market. Okay. So one way or the other, it'll be on. And I'm out of market, actually. And so all, all of us are, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking before we came on, all three of us are in different time zones. I don't think that's happened. <laughs> I'm Eastern, Cody Central, and uh, Andrew, your mountain. So, um, all right. And that's a 640 start. So that's a, that's a PM oh, game. Do we know who the Marlins are pitching? Uh, Trevor Rogers. So we oh, get a okay. nice, uh, tough lefty. Yeah. All right. It's almost a major league matchup. I'm, I won't get into Kluver. I'm not a Kluver guy, but I'm not going to give that take on this episode. All right. So uh, everybody, uh, hopefully you're enjoying uh, spring training. I think this is this is the most uh, you know spring training coverage we've gotten. Actually, now I'm really sad. We're not going to see the James Paxton start apparently, unless the Astros have a feed. Um. I don't know if that'll be the case on uh, Friday. Oh, wait. Or do I have that wrong? Wait a minute. Is he going Friday? Friday. <clears throat> I'm seeing Minnesota on Friday. Oh, that's Friday. I don't even know what day it is. All right. So we're not. This is the Wednesday game. All right. Cushman doesn't Dallas know what day Sports. it is. So if you have the app, you'll be able to watch it. What is it on? It's on Bally. Bally Sports. So the Twins are covering it. Okay. Um. I have it, but I think it's the Atlanta uh, Bally. Um, who's pitching that day? TBD versus TBD, but I thought you said that was the Paxton one. No, Paxton's Friday. No, that is Friday. That's what I'm saying. Oh. Friday, uh, March oh. 3rd. Yeah. Against is. the Twins. Right. So hopefully um, the MLB package will offer that if the twins are showing sure. it on there okay all right cool yeah, if it's on valley you should be able to watch crisis that, no averted so we're only missing for sure the tbd game which i'm fine with all right so that note we will finally wrap this time uh hopefully everybody is joining uh some spring training coverage we might have a unique episode uh being aired later on in the week i don't want to spoil the surprise but um, if, if a major development happens, that'll get pushed back and the regular guys will all be on to cover it. But, um, but one way or the other, there will be a second episode this week. So hope you're all enjoying it. Hope the weather isn't brutal up in new England and, uh, we'll be back before you know it. Take care.